I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Rule the World, the art and power of storytelling. Storytelling is what connects us as humans, and for brands, it is no different. A well-told story can effectively position your brand in the minds and hearts of your audience and can convert thoughts and feelings into results and revenue. On this show, we dive into the unique and recurring principles of world-class storytellers from every walk of life to help you level up your storytelling skills and knowledge to drive real, measurable results for you and your organization. Here's your host, Paul Furlong. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Rule the World, the Art and Power of Storytelling. I'm your host, Paul Furlong, Creative Director at Opus Media, and today I'm delighted to introduce you to Robert McKee, one of my all-time heroes. Robert McKee is a world-renowned story authority and author. He's also a script and project consultant. He occupies a unique crossroads in modern media storytelling. His teachings have spread beyond the stage and screen to influence all story forms. Writers, producers, media professionals and business leaders from around the world read McKee's books and attend his sold-out international seminars for an exclusive deep dive into the narrative potential of their material. Since 1984, more than 100,000 students have taken McKee's courses in various cities around the world. Robert McKee's signature story seminars have been held around the globe, helping screenwriters, TV writers, novelists, playwrights, directors, producers, and actors master the principles of story. With his distinctive blend of award-winning scholarship, professional acting and directing experience, and craft knowledge across all media, McKee helps writers think beyond formula and take the best story decisions of their career. McKee's former students include over 60 Academy Award winners, 200 Academy Award nominees, 200 Emmy Award winners, and 1,000 Emmy Award nominees, as well as 100 Writers Guild of America Award winners, 250 Writers Guild of America Award nominees, 50 Directors Guild of America Award winners, and 100 nominees. McKee continues to be a project consultant to major film and television production companies, such as 20th Century Fox, Disney, Paramount, and MTV. 
In addition, Pixar, ABC, BBC, Disney, Miramax, PBS, Nickelodeon, Paramount, Globostat, Mnet, and other international TV and film companies regularly send their entire creative and writing staffs to his lectures. Robert's currently working on a new book called Storynomics, and his current book, Dialogue, The Art of Verbal Action for Page, Stage, and Screen, follows on from his very successful book, Story. He has a number of autumn seminars upcoming in Los Angeles, New York, and London, uh, and for those of you in the UK, the dates are the Storynomics Seminar on the 9th of November, the three-day Story Seminar the 10th to the 12th of November, and the one-day TV Day on the 13th of November. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Robert McKee. Well, hi, Robert. Uh, welcome to the show. Really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk with you. I've uh, been really looking forward to this. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Um, so can we start off with you telling me a little bit about yourself and where your passion for story comes from? <coughs> oh, uh, it's as old as, um, excuse me, <coughs> as, as time. Uh, well, when I was, you know, if you really want to hear this kind of <laughs> story, but ever since I was a kid, I've been, like so many, you know, absorbed in stories. And, um, um, and uh, when I was, what, seven, eight, nine years old, my father had a unique uh, form of punishment. Um, instead of um, uh, writing a um, hundred times, I will not leave the refrigerator door open or whatever, sort of conventional punishment, he had this magnificent illustrated book of um, Aesop's fables. And um, when I did something wrong, the so-called punishment was to copy out the fable on paper in very, very good penmanship and the moral of the fable. And then I had to write my interpretation of the fable uh, uh, in addition to the given interpretation in the book. And it forced me to think about stories and what they mean and how they mean. Um, and it was a way, if I was good at it, I could really impress my dad as I would give him my interpretation. And um, that was a beginning of, of a, a fascination, not only with stories as a, as a you know, audience to stories, uh, but uh, then thinking and reflecting upon story and asking, how did the writer do what they did? How does this effect actually work? And, um, and if it didn't work, why not? And so forth. And so since I was a little kid, I've always had this fascination with love of great storytelling as an audience where I just sit like a child. And then I shift into another mode where I think about what I've read and try to um, understand how this particular piece uh, works its effects. And so I've been doing it, as I said, for almost, uh, what, 70 years. Wow. Um, so could, do, you, do you think you could give us a definition of story? Oh, sure. It's, it's not difficult. It's, um, it's a series of causally related um, events uh, that uh, change the value charge in a character's life. Um, <clears throat> so basically what any story says, from, from children's stories to myths to Hamlet, um, is how and why life changes. 
and uh, the hows are created by characters making decisions and taking actions against uh, various negative antagonistic forces in their life and the outcome is that for better or worse with or without irony uh, their life undergoes change and that change is expressed in terms of the core value at stake in the story and so uh, a story, for example, you know, a love story, if it's a true love story, the core value obviously is love-hate, uh, togetherness uh, versus um, uh, separation. Um, in an action story, it's, it's life-death, uh, maybe justice-injustice, or in a, in, a, in a very deep novelistic uh, story, it might be a, a meaningful life versus a meaningless life. But, it, but the life will change over the course of the story in terms of these, the core value at stake in it and other supplementary values. But that's how you see, that's how you know that something has changed. Um, it has to have a, a value attached to it, uh, a dynamic value that can move from positive to negative, back to positive, negative, positive, negative. If there's no value attached, then... Um, it, it isn't change, it's just um, an activity. Uh, it's not a true action. And so it's simple. I mean, it's, you know, but that's like saying music is simple. I mean, it is. It's just 12 notes on a scale. But those 12 notes conspire into everything and anything we've ever called music. And so story is simple. It's a concatenation of <clears throat> causally connected events that bring about change in the value charge of a character's life, fine, simple, but, uh, you know, try to do it. That's another thing. <laughs> so so the, the change part of it is the thing that separates a story from a narrative, is that right? Yeah, narratives, narratives, th th these two words, unfortunately, uh, the academic world um, conflates narrative and story. In fact, they prefer the term narrative because it's, it's got more syllables and it, it sounds, you know, in, intelligent, where a story, you know, could be a children's story. And it's a kind of a simple term that they want to dismiss. And so they prefer narrative. Um, but they commit, by doing that, they commit a categorical error because um, all stories are narratives, of course, but not all narratives are stories. And so, for example, um, an automobile going down the assembly line, being pieced together, <clears throat> piece by piece, coming out of an automobile at the end, um, is not a story, it's a narrative of, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then. There is change, I mean, parts become an automobile, um, <clears throat> but it's, there's no real value attached to it, it's not as if um, this was a human being whose mind was shattered and then assembled at the end of the day. That could be a powerful story. And so narrative is, uh, is a soft uh, term. And as a result, in business, um, people will, you know, departments in one company will be told to, uh, to tell the story of, Okay. And they will come up with a narrative, and then, and then, and then, and then, or a list. This plus this plus this plus this plus that, therefore, whatever. 
And it's a narrative, it's not a story. And so when they, they present it to people, it has no impact. And then they wonder why. I mean, I told a story, they think, you see. It's a story, uh, why doesn't it have impact? And what they, really, what they don't realize is no, it's not a story, it's a narrative. And uh, therefore it doesn't hook anybody's real interest, it doesn't uh, arouse any suspense or curiosity about the outcome, it doesn't involve them empathetically in the life of the character, they really don't care uh, one way or the other about the outcome, um, and so it is, it is disinteresting. Uh, and if they understood the difference between narrative and story, it would save them from doing it then and then. That's the way children tell stories. You ever listen to a child tell a story? Mm -hmm. They tell you a narrative. They go, I saw 10 pounds on my mummy's dresser, and then I took it, and then I went to the candy store, and then I tried to buy some candy, and then the man wouldn't sell it to me, and then he made me stand there, and then he made a phone call, and then my mummy came, and then she gave me a spanking. That's how children tell stories, and then, and then, and then. If that kid is going to grow up to be a storyteller, he learns not to do that. Start somewhere else. My mother, the bitch, kicked my ass for no reason. Okay. So you hook their attention and, and you, you make them want to know how will this turn out? How and why did your mother do that, right? Um, and so um, there's a huge categorical difference between narratives and stories. And uh, unfortunately, in the business world, uh, there's very little understanding of the difference between them. So is that where um, the emotional connection is added in um, to connect emotionally with the audience? Is that how the difference is established? A narrative well, doesn't no, bring no, any... No. It, 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 the narrative rarely evokes any kind of empathy. Story does, uh, but then there are stories that don't evo evoke empathy either. And so empathy is, is yes, it's an essential part of fine storytelling, uh, but it doesn't necessarily um, make the, the, the key difference between a narrative and a story. What makes the key difference um, is that there's got to be value charge change, the, the, the events have to move the, the core character from positive to negative, positive to, it has to be dynamic, positive, negative, positive, negative. Uh, and it has to uh, have be an open situation such that there's intellectual curiosity. The famous question, how will this turn out? And so you have to hook their curiosity first. You have to throw life for this character out of balance, and when they, they try to restore the balance, forces of, of negative forces arise, arise up in their life and prevent them from reestablishing re the balance and provokes then in the audience, how will this turn out? So that's the intellectual connection. That's foremost. Then there's an emotional connection. That character who's undergoing the struggle to try to put life back into balance has to have some human quality 
that allows the audience to react to this character. And most of this is subconscious, you understand. The audience reacts to the character with a subconscious sense that this character is a human being like me. They recognize a shared humanity in this character. Because without that recognition, it's only curiosity. How will this turn out? <clears throat> once they're in empathy, once they recognize the, the humanity of this character in, in some certain positively charged way, then they identify with that character. And so the story happens in the audience as if it were happening to them because they made an identification with that character. Now, naturally, they have an emotional uh, stake in this in this story because it's as if it were happening to them. And when you add curiosity uh, to empathy, you get suspense. Suspense is emotional curiosity. And so you have to have both. Uh, but it, 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 but if, if an audience, for example, if an audience were to recognize a shared humanity in a character and then nothing is happening in their life to jeopardize it, they have no interest. And so, and so empathy, yes, uh, is essential for a full effect, but it begins with curiosity. Because if they're not curious about the outcome, no matter how much they, they <coughs> might uh, identify with the character, uh, the story's boring. So you need both curiosity, empathy, and as I said, when they merge, you have suspense. So what's your approach when you're starting to plan a story? How do you how do you tend to structure a story? Or is it different depending on the story that you're telling? Well, it, it would depend enormously on a, on a myriad of factors. Uh, first of all, the setting. Only certain stories can take place in certain locations. Uh, it would depend even more so on the nature of the characters. Uh, the core character and the cast design of, of any one uh, or ones that are surrounding this character. Um, and, and most importantly, beyond that, it would depend on the value at stake. Because the value at stake is going to have a, a determination of what my genre is. And so if I'm writing, for example, I might be writing a, a, a business story and um, the value at stake in the story would be um, success versus failure. Um, and and um, once I understand that this is about a company, that the setting is the modern world, uh, and that what's at stake is survival uh, uh, or death, success or failure for the company, when I have those answers in hand, that, of course, is is extremely determinant of what kind of story I tell. It doesn't eliminate the need for imagination and great creativity, but it shapes it when I know what I'm... And then I have to... what, I, what those, those pieces are. But before I can tell the story, I have to see it from the consumer's point of view. I mean, who is the audience for this story? And what does the storyteller want that audience to do as a result of experiencing that story. Because in my storynomics uh, lectures, what we, <clears throat> they, we tell what's called the, the purpose-told story. And we teach how to tell a story 
that yes, it hooks interest, it holds interest, and it pays it off, it entertains in that sense. I mean, entertainment simply is, you know, making time vanish. And so, um, you know, you're entertaining by holding their attention and satisfying it, but you have to do more than a fiction story. You have to then move that audience to buy a product, hire a service, or if it's a branding story, simply, uh, and it's not so simple actually, but to, to, to shape the attitude of the audience toward the company. I mean, branding is simply a, 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 a process of changing attitude in the world uh, from indifference or ignorance, even, even antipathy, uh, to empathy and respect and admir what, admiration for the brand. Um, and so um, knowing that I want that audience to make a purchase or to change their attitude to the positive or whatever, knowing all that, <clears throat> once again, uh, has, has tremendous effect on the story that I tell starring this company in success, failure, and so forth. And so there's a whole checklist of, of understandings that I have to have um, about the nature of the story, the purpose of it, the value at stake, and so forth, uh, that are are going to um, uh, de you know, shape and determine the story that I tell. And so it's not like fiction. It's not like you just open up your imagination and anything that drifts in that you find interesting, you start to play with. Um, in the in the business story, it is purpose told, and so you, there are certain strong determinants that you have to answer and know before you can um, begin to, to try to figure out, given all this, what story do I tell? And then when the, the brand is then telling the story that they've come up with, um, I often hear companies talk about um, finding their voice, finding the company's voice or their, their personality in the story. How, how does a storyteller or a, or a company find their voice when telling their story? Well, you first of all have to figure out who's talking before you can find a voice. I mean, you have a choice in the business story as to who is the core character, with whom uh, is it about whom is this story told, and with whom do you want the audience uh, to empathize? And you have three choices: you can you can star the company itself, or you can star the product that the company makes or the service that it performs, or you can star the audience itself. And there's a tremendous um, effort in the world today to be consumer-centric and to tell your story starring the consumer, uh, not the company, not the product. Um, but that's not always possible. There are certain times when it, it's really effective, more effective, to star the company, to make that the core character, or the product, uh, make that the core character and find some way to personify that product. Um, and, uh, and so you've got you to make a decision as to who is the core character of this story. Um, if the core character is the company, and if you are trying to then create empathy for a corporation, you're up against some very powerful negative forces in the world because the attitude in the world today is not very generous uh, toward corporations. 
and therefore making a corporation stand in for it as a core character and empathetic and make the audience concerned about what uh, <clears throat> this company is struggling to do, uh, it takes some, some genius, to say the least. Uh, but it's done. It's been done many times, and the best of them um, know how to do this. Uh, so, um, but usually, usually, the product uh, or the consumer is the, the first choice. is the is the consumer. Second choice is probably the product or, th or service. The third choice is the corporation. But as I said, there are times when um, those second and third choices are exactly the choice you, you should make. And you have to know when that is. And then you've got to find empathy. <clears throat> and um, getting an audience to empathize with a company or even a product um, is, um, is not easy. They can, it, it, and I mean empathy, I don't mean likable. I don't mean sympathetic. It's not enough just to make a product or a company sympathetic, nice, charming, uh, friendly, or whatever. Um, they have to, to have a powerful story. The audience has to identify. They have to think the thought that corporation is human just like me. And as a, you can tell, which is making that statement, um, the, the test that would be for any storyteller. And you've talked in, you've talked in the past about mistakes that companies make when they're, when they're telling stories. And, and the, the biggest one that seems to, to come back time and time again is shying away from negative. Yeah, there's, two, there's two big choices. One is um, being uh, absolutely attracted to the positive. And so that becomes bragging. We're the biggest, we're the best, we're the shiniest, we're the newest. Bragging and promising. We'll do this for you, we'll do that for you. Etc. You're going to be you're going to be thrilled with our with our what our whatever our product. Um, audiences today are extremely skeptical about bragging and promising, because after you know over well over a century of, of massive advertising, uh, people know that these braggings and promises never almost never never uh, work out quite the way that they promise. Um, and so, but brands love to throw, puff their chest out and brag a lot and promise a lot. That's one mistake. The other mistake is that they, as you said, they are, they're caught up in what we call negophobia, the fear of all things negative. And so everything in the story is positive, 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 positive. As a result, it's not a story. It's a narrative. Stories move positive, negative, positive, negative, because the, the negative forces in life is what brings a story to life. I mean, if a character just gets what they want, gets what they want, gets what they want, gets what they want, gets what they want and finally gets what they really want, it's boring as it can be, and it's, it's not a metaphor for life, because we know in life there are always powerful <clears throat> antagonistic forces preventing us from um, getting what we want out of life. Uh, and, um, and so when you, when you simply have no negative floor in a story, when it never moves toward the negative, the audience recognizes that this is Pollyanna, this is just you know, PR, and it's not a true story, and so they can't get involved because it doesn't, 
it doesn't reflect life as they experience it. Um, and so overemphasis of the positive, bragging and promising, absolutely uh, uh, avoiding um, and, and ignoring uh, the positive dynamic of life. Those are the two mistakes you get. And it becomes uh, propaganda. It's a lie that a company tells uh, about itself. Uh, and in the past, uh, those lies were more or less um, accepted. Uh, not anymore. The millennial generation and the Generation Z that's coming up behind it um, are so cynical because they have seen all this stuff so many times and uh, they don't believe a word of it. Uh, and so, but if you tell a story, if you, if you tell it dynamically and you move it to the negative, back to the positive, negative again, then end on the positive, um, you, um, you, you can engage their interest and hold it and move them and uh, be, be effective. But, um, but not unless you tell a story. And the, the energy of story comes from the negative side of life. And if a storyteller doesn't get that, uh, and uh, then the story that they tell will be pablum, and uh, people will um, not just ignore it, but the young audience today laughs at it. So I'd love to ask you just a, a few quick fire questions to finish off with, Robert, if that's okay. Um, so to your mind, who is the greatest storyteller of all time and why? <laughs> I, don't, I don't answer questions like that because they just, you know, who the hell knows? Uh, there's a thousand possible answers, and it, it's all and it, at, at a certain level of greatness. It's uh, you know from Charles Dickens to you know Norman Mailer. I mean, how are you going to say one is better than the other? Uh, and so um, we just are grateful that there's all these great storytellers in the world, and that there all these great stories have been recorded in print, uh, um, so that we can act them out on the stage, or read them in a novel, or films that we can see and that, um, that there are these great storytellers, but, um, I don't, I don't, I don't ever, ever think in those terms of lists and greatest and, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me because there's so many, I mean, you know, and, and, and any answer would be an apples and oranges thing. I mean, you're talking about comedy writers versus dramatic writers. You understand? I mean, you, you know, you can't, you can't compare Moliere and Shakespeare and, you know, Shakespeare's a great comedy writer too, whatever, uh, and say one is greater than the other, that, that, that would not be true. Fair enough. So the, the answer to my next question might be the same. Uh, I'm going to ask you if there's any uh, great books, websites, podcasts, blogs about storytelling, obviously, other than uh, story and dialogue, which you've written. Um, any other good books that you could recommend to us? No. No, I'm writing one. Okay. I hope it'll be good. <laughs> uh, the answer to that question, you see, questions like that, what's the best book about what name it, right? The subject. Questions like that are designed uh, to give the audience or give the, the, the questioner a shortcut in life. Read this one book and it will, you'll know everything you need to know. Here is the, you know, the definitive study of blah, blah, whatever the topic, okay? And um, this is what often people want. They don't want to work. 
They don't want to have to take what they do seriously and study it and, and come to their own personal understanding of these things. They want to be told and they want, and they want a shortcut. They want it to be brief, one perfect book. And there is no such thing. And so my answer to the question is you read everything. Because, you know, presuming that there's something in any of them, even, even if, it's the, if it's a terrible book about that subject, really stupid book about that subject, recognizing the stupidity of it, the mistakes in it, the, the blindness of it, is a step toward understanding. To be able to distinguish, you know, what's of value, what's not of value. Um, and so you read everything, um, and everything is a, is a learning experience, if you let it, um, that sharpens your mind and defines how you understand things. And so, no, there is no perfect book. It won't be mine either. Uh, therefore, you know, you're going to have to, um, to, to study everything you can uh, until you, and, and then do it yourself, until you can master it. I love that answer. That's a great answer. Thank you for thank you for being so honest with it as well. So uh, so where can we find out more about you then, Robert? Well, I'm going to be in London on November 9th, uh, doing the full day Storynomics uh, lecture, and then uh, if you wish uh, beyond that, the Story Seminar, the big three day uh, uh, event from November 10 to November 12. Uh, is um, is an immersion in the art of story, and then for some people that may be interested on uh, on November the thirteenth, and I think that's a Sunday. Um, I'm going to do a full day on on the long form television series because for fiction writers, this seems to me to be the most magnificent future of all is creating the next Downton Abbey, creating the next. You know, Ray Donovan, the next uh, Breaking Bad, the next uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, Game of Thrones, creating one of these great long-form series with marvelously complex characters over season after season, that this is um, an exercise in creativity of a, of a, of a scope uh, uh, never attempted before in history. Nobody's ever written stories of this massive size before. And so... Um, Sunday the uh, 13th, uh, I do TV, and sort of all, you know, it uh, sort of builds up to that. The, the three days previous to that are the great um, <clears throat> long story seminar. Um, so, um, I, you know, I look forward to, um, if somebody is listening to this um, and uh, chooses to do Storynomics on November 9 or comes to story starting on the 10th, um, step out of the crowd and um, introduce yourself and uh, and let me know that you you know you found your way there thanks to this uh, podcast and um, um, and I'll be um, I'll be pleased to meet you. Brilliant. Thank you for that, Robert. And where can we find you online? McKeeStoryOneWord.com and um, all of the um, uh, offerings will be there, uh, and then they can pick and choose. Brilliant. So they can find their way to your YouTube and your Twitter and. All and your blog from there all that from all there. that that's great Robert well um, really want to thank you for your time today uh, and for the generosity with your knowledge oh, my pleasure those are very good questions thank you and uh, I'll look forward to, uh, to speaking to you again soon excellent take care now thanks bye for now. bye 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of Rule the World. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit weareopusmedia.com for more resources based on today's topic, as well as access to more episodes that will help you develop your storytelling abilities. That's weareopusmedia.com. Thank you, and see you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.